We are going to continue our series, Simplify Meaningless to Satisfy, this afternoon. Because we've all been satisfied. I mean, we've grown up in Texas. We know what it is to be satisfied, especially when it comes to food, right? We've had a, a good steak dinner. We had some good Mexican food. For some of our people love Mexican food, and I'm one of those people. But my favorite, my favorite is chicken fried steak. It's something about chicken fried steak that when it calls, I will be answering it. I will answer the call to chicken fried steak with some cream gravy on it. I can do french fries. I can do mashed potatoes. I could do, just do the chicken fried steak by itself. Because that satisfies me almost every time. It's been a couple misses where I went to a place and, you know, it, it wasn't the right chicken fried steak. But uh, Mike Madrid, he got me hip to a place, and hopefully I can get 5% off my next meal because of uh, <laughs> saying this about this restaurant. But uh, Matt's Rancho, what's that, Rancho something? Right there off of George Bush and Garland Road. It's a Mexican food place that serves chicken fried steak. So they're married. <laughs> Boy, talk about satisfaction. But that satisfaction only lasts for a little bit. Food doesn't stay or it shouldn't stay in your tummy forever, right? It's supposed to be burned off or leave your body other ways. Use your imagination for that. But satisfaction, it's a lot of things that we try to satisfy our lives with. Sometimes it is food. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's hobbies. You know, how many gamers do we have in here today? We got some gamers. Games, they may satisfy for a while, but if you're really a gamer, you're going to conquer the game. You're going to master it. And it's going to come a time where it just doesn't have the joy that it had like it did when you first started the game. But we're going to talk about a satisfaction this afternoon that doesn't fade, that doesn't spoil, that doesn't expire. And who do you think that satisfaction is in? Jesus. I'm going to ask you this question, though. What does it take? What does it take for you to be satisfied? What is it? Is it something that when it comes to enjoyment that you try to get satisfied in that? Or do you try to have something a little bit more depth? But it's interesting how much gratitude and contentment plays into satisfaction. Let's contrast these two scriptures. Hosea chapter 13, and then actually the scripture that uh, Stever used this afternoon, Philippians chapter 4. And listen to the hearts of the, the people that we're talking about here. In Hosea chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. God says to the Israelites, I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of burning heat. In verse 6, when I fed them, they were satisfied. But when they were satisfied, they became proud and they forgot me. They became proud and they forgot me. And that happens to the best of us, right? We get provided for. God gives us an awesome relationship. 
Or he gives us an awesome place, an awesome opportunity when it comes to our career. And then what happens? We think it's by our own power. We think it's by our own skill, our own intelligence, our own wisdom. And then we end up not being satisfied, but instead we're being proud and we forget who is the provider. Because it's God, amen. Contrast Hosea chapter 13 with Philippians 4, verse 12 and 13. I'm going to read verse 11 too, but it says, I am saying this because I am in need. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He said, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Because I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's the secret. That's the secret to satisfaction. If we're going to have true satisfaction, one where we don't have to complement it with anything else, it has to be in the Lord. It has to be in God. It has to be in Jesus. Because Paul said in verse 13 that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That him he's talking about, he's not talking about the church in Philippi. He's not talking about his mentor. He's talking about Jesus Christ. But do we have that same sentiment at times? Do we think, oh, if I, if I just work harder, if I just focus a little bit more, then I can do all things. No, that's, that's not how it works, right? Even though focus does help, concentration, it will benefit you. But God lines up things for our enjoyment, for our own strength. Listen to this quote, ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus. He said, he who is not satisfied with a little is satisfied with nothing. He who is not satisfied with a little is not satisfied with nothing. Have you seen that in your own life? I know I have. I remember one day, I, I worked for the same company for like 10 years. And I was going through my check stubs for the 10 years that I've been there. And I started, you know, down at the totem pole. You know, I just got in the door and I was grateful for God that I, I, I was in the door. But then after six, seven years of promotions and, and raises and all that type of stuff, I was like, wait a second. I make a lot more money now than I did then. But when I check my pockets, <laughs> I don't see it. I may have more stuff. I may have a car that has all four wheels instead of three wheels now. I may have a house with a little bit more furniture in it. But am I truly content? And that's our question, right? That's always the question. It's, are we truly going to be content with what God has given us? If God has given us good health, are we content with it? If God has given us a way to take care of our family or pay our bills, are we content? Are we satisfied? 
If God has given us relationships, given us roommates, given us family, given us people that are reaching out to us, do we think, oh, well, they're just not reaching out to me how I want to be reached out to? Every time I come over to their house, they always offer me sandwiches. Won't they offer me steak and lobster? <laughs> Sometimes we're just not satisfied, right? Sometimes we just, frankly, we, we just don't get what this world is about. And I know at least last time I checked, for me, that the world still doesn't revolve around Clint. And I check often. <laughs> it does not revolve around me. And I'm, I'm going to guess that it doesn't revolve around you. But it truly, it truly revolves around Jesus, around God, and what he has purpose for us. So the question I have for us today is it possible for us to be eternally satisfied, to have, to have satisfaction without end, with no expiration date, and it is not tampered with or destroyed? If you guys could turn with me to John chapter 6, we're going to spend most of our time in John chapter 6, because this passage, this is right after uh, Jesus fed the 5,000, and this is one of the more poor perplexing passages to me because of the dialogue that Jesus has with the Israelites and how he conversed with them and how he challenged them and even the words that he used. But in John chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, you know, we have Jesus giving thanks for the loaves and the fish that the, the little boy brought to him. And in verse 11 of John chapter 6, it says, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And they all had enough to eat. And as we mentioned earlier, we, we've been there before where we had enough to eat. Where we were satisfied physically. At least within our stomachs, we were satisfied. But then Jesus, he wanted to take it a step further. He then ends up going to a remote place to pray and ends up shocking the disciples by walking on water after this event. So he walks on water, shocks them, and then he makes it back to the, the place where the people that he fed. And we're going to pick up in John chapter 6, verse 25. And to give a little bit more background here, so the people had just been fed. 5,000 people had been fed. And not only were they fed, but they knew that it was a miracle that happened. Because as I put myself back there, I'm like, okay, if I was in a group of 5,000 people, you know, how, how would I know where the food came from, right? You're like, okay, well, I know I was hungry, and I know I have a, a two-piece fish and a bread now. Like, amen for it. But they actually knew that it was Jesus who granted the miracle. And it was Jesus who ended up doing the miraculous sign, as it mentioned in verse 30. But let's pick up here in verse 25 here. John chapter 6, verse 25. He says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. 
You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you on him. God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do? What must we to do the works that God requires? Have you ever asked that question? What, what should I be doing when it comes to my relationship with God? Should, should I be up here singing? For some of us, yes. For some of us, no. Yes. Should I serve as an usher? Should I go back there and help with the kids? Should I share what God has been doing in my life? What must, what must we do? That's, that was the question. That was a million-dollar question that they had for Jesus. In verse 29, this is how Jesus answers them. So Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And this word believe, this is not just that intellectual belief. This is an a, a entrusting, I'm going to entrust my life, I'm going to entrust my faith in you, Jesus. That's what Jesus called the people to do. He's like, okay, well, let's, let's not even worry about doing anything right now. Because we got to start with the foundation. And that foundation is what? Believing. Entrusting life into God. And they had an episode where they're like, okay, well, I know Jesus is somebody because he just fed us from two loaves or two fish and five loaves. So he's definitely somebody to reckon with. But the question is, will I trust in Jesus? Because we've been in situations where, yes, I'll let somebody provide for me four times. I'll let somebody give me gifts. I'll let somebody, you know, invite me over their home and feed me. But Jesus is not talking about that right. He's talking about, will you follow me? When I say this, you do this. Let's go a little bit deeper here. In verse 30. They asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the man in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, I want you to put yourself in those people's shoes. They, 5,000 people were just fed. Out of five loaves of bread and two fish, we're not talking about two sharks, right? We're not talking about two sharks. This is something that someone had in their basket to eat. And what did they ask of Jesus? What else can you show us, Jesus? That wasn't enough. I need more. My faith is shaken and my tummy is hungry. What else can you, sh- can you share with us? And man, we can be just like that, right? Where Jesus has blessed us beyond our measure. He has given us relationships that are eternal. He has always taken care of us one way or the other. But then we ask, Jesus, what are you going to do for me now? 
what are you going to do for me right now? And as we listen, as we observe someone else asking that question, we can see it right off the bat, right? You're like, man, they're, they're just not grateful. They're just not content. Or that it's just something not connecting. But what about us? Is, is that the same for us? Is it something that's just not connecting that's keeping us to be satisfied with who Jesus is today? Not what he could be, but what he is today. Let's continue reading. In verse 32, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. I love that kind of bread that I can eat once and be satisfied. It sounds a little dangerous, but let's continue reading verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, or all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus said a mouthful here. But it takes some faith to believe what he said. Not only then, almost 2,000 years ago, but it still takes faith for us today, right? You know, do I truly believe? You know, we, we talked about our house situation and how God blessed that uh, back in April. But now we got a different situation. It's with our car now. <laughs> it's with our car. It was with the house God blessed. And now our car is have a some work, about $1,200 worth of work that need to be done. Plus, it has 225,000 miles on it, which last I checked is a lot of miles <laughs> for anything but airplane, right? But I start thinking about it, and, and, and this, these are the crosswords, crossroads that we come to in life. Is that, okay, I have some money saved up. We have some money saved up, but it's not enough to buy a car that, at least that we want. So we can continue to save, continue to, continue to be frugal, to stack up the money, and then buy something cash. That's one frame of mind, right? But what's the American way? <laughs> what's the American way, Steve? It's, it's not that. Because my car, our car, it still drives. You know, you put gas in it, it still cranks. It's not quite as powerful when it cranks, but it still does. But those, th that's the trust, the everyday trust that me and you come into day by day. 
is that are we truly going to trust the process of saving money so that we can pay as opposed to being enslaved by either credit card debt or debt in general? It's a time and place to, to, to buy a car not with full cash. But typically, it's not as often that we do as, as we do it, right? So it comes a point for me and my wife is like, okay, what are we going to trust? Are we going to trust that even if the car were to break down, that God is going to take care of us? That God is going to take us to wherever we need to be? Because like many of us, we have professed that, Jesus, my life is yours now. It's yours. It's no longer mine. What I do, the decisions that I make, it's you now. It's no longer me. So Jesus was challenging these people similarly as we've challenged today, is that when it comes down to it, will we trust God? Will we trust Jesus? Let's continue reading. In verse 41, at this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me drawn him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I'll tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And they responded just like probably I would have responded. When he said, my flesh is the bread, I think that would have rocked my world. (laughs) Because there's some things that you expect, but... Never would I expect Jesus to say, to eat my flesh. And look how they responded. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? His flesh. How? They didn't understand. Then I asked the question to myself, how often does God call me to do something that I don't understand? How many times have God called me to ask for forgiveness, to apologize, to bring up this conversation or that conversation? And in my heart or in my mind, I'm like, God, I don't want to do it. I don't even see why I should do it because I don't see the big picture. God does. So we could be in that same boat where God challenges us with something But we don't understand it. We don't understand what's going to happen on the other side of the finish line. When God says, 
Students, I want you to be diligent in studying. I want you to be diligent in setting aside time to make sure you can master the classes that you're taking in school. We think, but Lord, I just want to serve your kingdom instead. Why don't you just hit me with straight A's in my mind so I could just go take the test and then focus on really doing your word. But, but he said, everything we do, do as we work for the Lord, right? You know, when it comes to our jobs, same thing, right? And they were like, man, Lord, just, just let me be a missionary, God. Just let Bill Gates look at my LinkedIn profile, my, my Facebook, and say, man, I want to endorse you. Where do you want to go? What part of Hawaii do you want to go be a missionary at? But sometimes we just don't understand that God has us exactly where he wants us. He has us right in the relationships, right in the job, right in the neighborhood, right in the classroom, exactly where we need to be. But we still ask the question, how can Jesus give us his flesh to eat? We still ask that question. Like, what? I just don't understand. That's why he prefaced it with, believe in me and trust in me. Because once we believe and once we trust, we've already decided that what he says goes. That's why Jesus, that's why he always began with belief. But let's continue. Here in verse 53, it says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on the bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Are we filling up on the goodness of God? Is that what we're satisfied with? I love what Bill Hooper shared last week. If you missed last week, Bill was sharing about how important it is to use different resources to help the Bible to come alive. Him and Sally had bought a, a cultural background book to help with their Bible study. And I remember as a young Christian, probably up until just a few years ago, thinking the Bible is enough. All I need to do is read, read the Word. But after doing some more study, one thing that I didn't account for is that culture. And even just looking around this room, we have many cultures represented today. For some cultures, you shake hands. Some cultures, you hug. Some cultures you kiss on each side of the cheek, and some cultures you just kiss on one side. So if you try to go for both, 
you might get more than what you came in for. <laughs> At least they did. But culture is significant. Because if I say to you that I want a pop to drink, you know what I mean. But if I'm from a different culture, they're like, pop? I mean, what, what is that? Are you talking about your father? You want to drink your father? I'm like, no, that's not what, what I want. So culture really plays a difference. And one thing that I've noticed, as Bill was talking about last week, is how important it is for us to mature in our understanding of this. Because we can all attest that many can distort the truth. And sometimes, even in our own lives, we distort the truth because we don't understand like the, the author had meant for the audience. And one of the, the journeys that I've been on lately is using commentaries a little more often, but mostly using a Bible dictionary. I love Bible dictionaries because they give you the background that you may miss. You know, as even as we read this passage, it talked about manna. And if you're familiar with that, okay, well, you know what the reference is. But if you're not familiar, you don't know about the Israelites when they were rescued from the Egyptians. And Jesus or God ended up sustaining them with manna in the morning and quail at night. But these little things, these little intricacies, they add so much for our application of the word of God. Because many a time, we can end up being like these Jews here in this passage, where they just didn't quite understand because they just didn't understand the whole picture. But we want to be those that handle the word completely, amen? We want, to, we want to dive into the scriptures. We want to know the scriptures. Because what do we end up knowing? Jesus didn't really mean eat his flesh, right? He didn't really mean drink his blood. Because we see when he was resurrected, he didn't say take a bite out of, crime, take a bite out of my arm, right? It's time for us to live out John chapter 6. He didn't do that. But what did he say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, which is something we're going to partake here in a second? Paul explains it to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and 26, we shed some light on what Jesus was alluding to before he died. He says, For I received from the Lord while I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And even the background behind that, for some that may not remember, because I know I didn't until I was putting the sermon together, in Leviticus, Leviticus, the Israelites, the Jews, they were forbidden for drinking blood because the blood held the life of that 
animal or that person or whoever it came, came to be. So blood was very important, and it was not something to be played with. And you could be unclean if you ended up coming in contact with other people's blood. But then you fast forward to Jesus talking to the same Jews. And he ended up telling them, my blood you need to drink. My blood is the one that brings the life that you desire. My blood is not tainted. It's not given the spirit of, of something that is, is, is unperfect. But instead, Jesus is saying, I want you to take my blood now through the cup so that you can have my life. So you can have my principles. So you can have the connection that you desire with the God that created you. But then when we see it in that picture, like, okay, I see what Jesus was trying to say. That's why we take communion often, because we don't want to forget where we get our satisfaction from, where do we get our life from. That eternal life comes through Jesus, and it comes through his life, it comes through his death, and it comes through him living. But if we don't do our research, we can miss those things. We can, we can forget. We can even forget why we take the bread and why we take the juice. We can end up just talking while we're taking the bread and taking the juice. Instead of remembering that the only way that I can find satisfaction in life is through the blood of Jesus. Through his sacrifice through what he brought to the table. The only way that I can have whole relationships, relationships that sharpen one another and help one another grow is by the blood of Jesus, by the sacrifice that he shared and the sacrifice that he calls us to now. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with the life that you have right now? Are you satisfied with the decision that you make when it comes to your day-to-day -day living? Are you satisfied in what you're learning from God's word? Are you satisfied with your prayer life and how you commune and talk with our Lord and Savior? If the answer is no to any one of those, we have a solution, amen? We have Jesus. And I want to read this last part before we take communion, thinking about are you satisfied. Flipping back to John chapter 6, verse 60. Jesus ends up having a sober conversation with the 12 apostles and with the disciples that were following him at this time. And in John chapter 6, verse 60, on hearing it, Many of his disciples, this is after the, the big discourse about the bread and the, and the blood. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit 
and they are alive. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Verse 66, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus, but followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. What's going to be our response? Are we going to respond that same way as that? I can turn back. I can have a, a, a cursory walk with God where I show up and just go here and there. Or we can be like Peter and the rest of the 12 or at least 11 of the 12 and say, I have no other place to go. My home is not going to satisfy me. My vehicles are not going to satisfy me. My family is not going to satisfy me. My health is not going to satisfy me. The only thing that can satisfy me and you is Jesus Christ. That's our only way, man. So as we take this bread and take this juice, I ask the question again, are we satisfied? Or are we trying to be satisfied by things that perish, that spoil, that fade? We're going to have a, an opportunity. I'm going to just pray for the bread and the juice right now. And give us an opportunity to, to truly reflect on where we're trying to find, find our satisfaction. And I pray that as we see Jesus... And, and, and how he really tried to implore and to those that he spoke to and us now that he want us to choose him because he does bring eternal life. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, it's convicting. It's convicting to know how patient you are with us. How at times we, we, we turn our back on you. We think the, the, the time that we have in the day is, is too important to spend time with you. That our jobs, that our hobbies are just, just good old pleasure trumps you. But I thank you for being such a great and awesome and forgiving God. That you have given everyone in this room an opportunity to look at you and to believe and put our trust in you. That even though we may have made bad decision upon bad decision, you're still waiting for us. You're still giving us breath in the, these bodies that you've given us. And I pray as we take the bread, as we take the juice, we take this bread that represents your body that represents where we're trying to be one day in heaven with God, that we can take it with sober judgment as we really look at our lives and see, are we truly finding satisfaction in you? 
And as we take the, the, the juice, the, the fruit of the vine that represents your blood, that we take it with the expectation is that your way will be our way now. That your life will be in our life. That your blood will be our blood. We thank you again for being so patient with us. But I pray that we do not take that patience for granted. But instead, that we bathe ourselves in your love and in your grace and in your mercy. We love you and all this we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.